Hi, my name is Harris. I'm one of your podcast hosts. I'm also a lawyer at Treadstone Law. For most Canadians buying, selling, or refinancing real estate, a lawyer is the last thing on their mind. That's unfortunate because lawyers play a vital role in the process. But what choices do Canadians have? Lawyers can be very expensive. Well, Treadstone Law offers resources to Canadians so they have access to the information they need. Whether you sign up for a live workshop or a mailing list, we cover topics to help you make informed decisions and avoid costly mistakes. It's advice you can start using today, and best of all, it's free. Visit treadstonelaw.ca forward slash MAS offer or click the link below to get access right now. If you're looking to retain Treadstone Law, it's never been easier. Our entire process is online. From completing the retainer agreement to your signing appointment, everything is done from the comfort of your own home. We're your digital lawyers. The best part of it is that you don't pay anything when you're retaining our firm. Visit treadstonelaw.ca forward slash MAS offer or click on the link below to retain us right now. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to another episode of Hustle and Grit. Today on our podcast, we have Chad Robinson. Chad is a highly respected real estate professional with 25 years of valued experience in the mortgage and real estate industry. Chad holds a Bachelor of Economics with a specialization in international business from Carleton University and is both a fully licensed mortgage and real estate broker, although he does not actively practice real estate sales. Growing up in a real estate family, Chad began selling real estate when he turned 18 and has not looked back since. Forever, the entrepreneur Chad has worked to grow several mortgage brokerage operations and is currently the president and owner broker of award-winning 360 Best Interest Mortgages, Inc., serving the Eastern Ontario area and lead planner for Mortgage Architects. Welcome to the podcast, Chad. Thank you very much, Harris. Appreciate it. Yeah, that's a that's a rich history. Um, but uh, <laughs> what really stuck out was, um, as soon as you turned eighteen, you began selling real estate. And I just want to kind of jump in with that. How did you get to start selling at eighteen? <laughs> yeah, well, it's a funny story. So, I mean, my family's always been in real estate and real estate sales since I was born. And, and my mom tells a story that she was doing an offer when she was giving labor to me. Um, and back then in the day, you had to have a typewriter and like carbon paper and stuff. And so I grew up in the business and I never wanted to do it. Right. You know, you sometimes you you fight back against what your parents are doing. Right. And then so I'm doing all these part time jobs because I've always been entrepreneurial and I've always been working and I'm grinding at back then, which was like two bucks an hour or something. And uh, and I look at it going, man, I could sell a house and make whatever it was back then, three, four thousand bucks. Or I can work at the gas station for, you know, mm-hmm. two fifty. I'm like, screw that. Um, I'm going to start selling houses. And I always take that attitude with, with everything I do is just I can achieve it. You know, I'm going to jump in. If I'm going to do something, I, I just believe in myself. And um, so I started selling real estate when I was 18, put myself through university doing that in colleges and in winter and, and summer breaks and uh, just never looked back. Yeah. I mean, what you just said reminded me of, I think there's a quote uh, with the uh, the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I don't know if you've read the book. Yeah. Or you never say, like, I can't do something. It's how am I going to get there? Absolutely. And, and so was uh, your mom was in real estate. Was your dad in real estate as well? Was, like, the entire family kind of in real estate? 
in one form or another, yeah, the whole family was in real estate. So I grew up in real estate and even more than just real estate, but entrepreneurship was bred into me since I was a little kid. And um, that, that mentality of, you know, go for it. You can do it like, like you just said, right? It's not that you can't do it. It's how can you do it? And, um, and I've taken that life, you know, that philosophy with me through my whole life. And so then, I mean, you, you did your undergrad in economics and yeah. uh, I would argue an international business. So yeah. you did not get um, tempted by a big corporate job or anything like that. You were still like holding to your guns with, uh, I, I need to no. start my own thing. No, well, it's funny. I had a dream of uh, going on to um, KPMG, was it KPMG back then? Or Anderson Consulting. Yeah. And uh, I remember this ad one day. It was a really cheesy ad. But it's funny how some things stick with you your whole life. It says, come work for us. We'll, you'll cross the international date line so many times you'll never get old. <laughs> and right? I mean, it's cheesy, of course. Yeah. But, you know, as an 18-year-old, you're thinking, wow, that's so cool. And that was what my career goal was. And so all the way through university, I'm making this money. And I'm, you know, hustling and doing these real estate sales. And I'm like, okay, great. I'm going to graduate and get these big six-figure jobs. And, you know, yeah, yeah. Mm. So reality checked in, right? So I get these job offers that are like 30 grand and and I'll never forget the interview that decided that I'm like, I'm going to pivot. So I've graduated. I'm making good money. And this guy says, yeah, come work for us. You're going to work 60 hours a week. We have all these parties. We do this stuff. We have the foosball table. And and I said, okay, great. Because I wasn't scared of hard work. Right. And, and I said, well, what's the salary? He's like 30 grand. And I'm like 30 grand. He goes, yeah. And he's all pumped. I'm like, I make that in my summer. <laughs> I'm not going to come work 60 hours a week <laughs> and make less than I'm making now. And I just couldn't compute right now. Looking back, I'm like, okay, it would have been a whole different career path and other opportunities and work from the floor up. Right. But 18 year old, or I guess that case, 22 year old brains don't think that way. Yeah. Um, so I just kept doing the real estate and then got into mortgages. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's a podcast for another time, but I'm all about entrepreneurship. Nothing wrong with uh, working. Um, but yeah. um, it's something that like, you know, when somebody says 30,000, it's like you're thinking about like, you know, going back to the gas station, at least the gas station job, you know, you need to get out this. You're kind of getting yeah. comfortable with like, oh, I could tell my friends and where I'm working, but how much you're earning yeah. and it just doesn't correlate. But no. back to kind of... Um, your your real estate experience so you went from mm -hmm. selling real estate what got you then into mortgage brokering because they're related but like often enough you'll have for the most part if you're kind of selling real estate or buying real estate you kind of stay in that mm -hmm. you, you kind of pivoted over to mortgages and then private lending which we're going to discuss in a little bit but what got you to kind of move over so yeah it's it's an it's a neat journey so I've always kind of been a numbers guy since I was, you know, since I was young is that's where the economics and business degree comes from, right? I'm, my brain kind of works that way. And um, I sales were great. And obviously, I did really well. But I didn't like the the sort of that, I wouldn't say the human element of real estate, but the frivolity of a lot of real estate people, like when you're selling residential, in particular, people are making decisions on paint color. Mm. And I had trouble <laughs> with that. I'm like, I don't care about the paint. It's the right floor plan. Like paint the darn house. Right? <laughs> So I struggled with that just internally and uh, and I gravitated over the numbers. Now, again, this is going back quite a number of years. And back then we used to do mortgages with fax machines. Um, so for many of your listeners that, you know, <laughs> the younger people don't even know what the heck a fax machine is anymore. <laughs> um, so it was a very different world back then. And um, so in Ontario, in order to be a mortgage broker, you either had to get your real estate brokerage license or move to Toronto and go to Seneca College for two years. And I said, well, the real estate's an easier arm. I got my, then I leveled up and got my brokerage license, mm -hmm. became a mortgage broker. 
and um, and then kind of just let the sales side of the, the real estate go. And and I, okay, over the years, I've traded on my own for my own properties and projects and stuff. And once you get a license, never give it up. That's something I really believe in. Always keep it going because these mm-hmm. professional licenses take a lot of effort to get. So, um, so you, keep you them. can't and, just you can't just walk into them. You have to really study and 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 do commit a lot of time and effort to actually get that license and then hold on to it. Absolutely, and it's hugely valuable, right? And for now, in the mortgage world, it's allowed me, especially the private lending world, I can jump into the real estate databases, you know, behind the scenes and check valuations, check sales. I don't need to go third party to get that data. So it's it provided me as a lender this invaluable expertise to know what's trending in a location, and you know, is this a good in- investment or a good you know mortgage opportunity for my clients? Okay, and so for um, your mortgage brokerage specifically. Um, what type of, and you're probably, are you across the board or do you like, uh, look into first time home buyers? Where's kind of, um, what you enjoy doing more so than, um, anything else? Yeah. Yeah. So it's really transitioned over the years. So, you know, at the beginning of the career was, you know, you think you're a young salesperson and it's everything and anything, right? I can do anything. You know, my, I joked when I trained my staff is the first answer was, can you do it? And it was yes. Then go figure out how to do it. Hmm. Um, you know, now it's really all I do is private lending and construction and commercial. I, I personally don't do any residential anymore. I have team members that take care of it. Um, so I really got specialized and I'm hyper specialized now. Um, the industry in particular in the last six months has really changed mm-hmm. and people that are not specialized, I think are really struggling. So you'll have, to your point, a first time home buyer specialist, or you'll have a new to Canada specialist. Um, or like in my case, private and commercial specialty, um, the rules are changing sometimes daily with the lenders and you really need somebody that knows what they're doing in your niche for whatever it is kind of mortgage you're looking for. Yeah. It's just, I mean, well, how I look at it is that there's just a mortgage used to be just a mortgage, but it's, mm-hmm. it's not just, it's not that simple anymore. Um, there's, no. it's highly regulated and, and for good reason. But then that also means that there's like special products and and all these things that it really depends on on the specific borrower and their needs and not even their needs for that moment, but their long term kind of trajectory. And the way I kind of look at it and I tell everybody because what kind of annoys me is uh, a lot of people's fixation on what's the rate, right? And, and to me, I'm like, listen, okay, well, you know, when you go buy a house, you don't say, you know what, I just want the most square feet in, mm-hmm. uh, you're looking at like, okay, I mean, if you go for the most square feet, it's going to be in a neighborhood you don't want in a city you don't want, you know, it's not going to mm-hmm. look like the way you want. It's not going to be, it may, it may not be sellable afterwards. There's a lot, a lot of things. And the same thing goes with a mortgage An interest rate yeah. is just a square feet. There's so many other options. And then you have to figure out what are you going to do with the, the house? Are you going to flip it? Yeah. Are you going to renovate it? What are you going to do? So I feel like that con- concept of just the rate, extremely annoying. And so when you look at all the options and what your plan is, then like you said, you have to go to somebody who specializes in um, that specific area, because even if you're specializing in private mortgages or whatever, and correct me if I'm wrong, there's like a hundred, there could be a hundred or potentially infinite, but like there's a significant amount of lenders out there with different products, different portfolios that all are kind of bidding for your business. 
For sure. And, and we'll give you the right solution. You know, your, your square footage analogy is awesome. And it's the first one I've heard, the first time I've heard it that way. And it is really perfect, actually. It's, I've often said, you know, what's the price of a red car? <laughs> and people would be like, what do you mean? Like, exactly. Right. What kind of red car do you want? You know, and and interest rates are the same. And um, there, there's when you go to a lawyer and sign a mortgage, most people think it's the one, two pages at first when you sign the commitment. But then you go to your lawyer's office and there's a big brown envelope full of paper. Yeah. And 99 percent of people never read it. But that's actually your mortgage, all the terms and conditions. And there's pages and pages and pages of stuff. And you really need to have an expert help you, you know, go through that and, and choose what the right, you know, terms and conditions are. You Some people want prepayment. Other people don't. Some people want the variable. And then in the variable, there's a whole world of, you know, adjustable rate mortgages and variable rate mortgages. And there's a huge difference between the two. Most people don't even know that there's two differences between floating rate mortgages. Um, you know, and if they walk into a branch and the branch people are great human beings, but they're sold they're trained to sell one product yeah. and then it's up to the consumer to go and compare between the two. And not that the mortgage brokers are the end all be all. Um, but I always believe in doing hiring a specialist and whatever you're looking for. Yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree. Now, normally in my, in my podcast, I kind of jump into, this is a point where I kind of jump into what it's like working with you, but I want to mm -hmm. save that a little bit to the end because uh, today's topic is something that not a lot of people know or have been exposed to. Um, sure. And there's just a lot of con like I would say negative connotations to it. And so I want to talk about like the product itself, what it's about, who's good for, and then we'll kind of move into how um, it's what it's like working with you. So today sure. I want to really dive into like private mortgages and 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 so if you could just give our listeners a quick kind of understanding of what a private mortgage is exactly uh, absolutely so a private mortgage is a mortgage like any other mortgage like you'd get from any of the big banks the only difference is the person giving the mortgage is either a private individual or what are called mortgage investment entities mies is what the government's calling them now so they're pools of funds that are privately run to provide mortgages and the difference with these things is the lenders so the person or the small company makes up the rules they can say i'm going to give you 200 percent loan to value or you know finance above the purchase price which nobody does but it could be um so it's up to those companies privately to decide whatever they're going to rules and regulations are they're not governed by the government um other than being they can't charge criminal rates but barring that they got to be honest and ethical but there's no rules of there's no tds or income qualifications or credit qualifications it's just what you are willing to pay and that lender is willing to charge to create the product for you. And um, so it provides a lot of opportunity uh, for borrowers and, and especially nowadays. And, and I really I don't even call it private lending per mm -hmm. se anymore. It's really solution lending. Mm -hmm. And and it's a temporary feature. It's not a long term. You're not going to have a, a private mortgage for 20 years. It's to bridge you for a gap to to fix something usually. So, yeah. And, and I think that uh, we're. The, the biggest difference between private and you could say your conventional mortgages is that conventional mortgages, when you're going to a big bank, um, they're heavily regulated. There's certain things they can and cannot do. Whereas a private lender and the borrower, they kind of dictate all of the rules or most of the exactly. rules, 99% of yeah. the rules um, in how their relationship is going to be, what, what it's going to be looking like. So For sure. Yeah, sorry, are you going to say something? Oh, no, I was going to give you a good example, yeah. um, you know, that a lot of people can relate to is it in a divorce separation issue, um, you know, a husband is leaving the wife or vice versa. And 
the main banks will not give you a mortgage in, in most cases without a, a fully signed separation agreement. Yeah. So if you don't have that signed, you're stuck. You yeah. can't sell the house. And I've literally had people come to me. They, they are estranged from their spouse. They hate each other. There's like, you know, like metaphorically throwing knives, not in reality, but, um, you know, they don't want to live with each other, but they can't leave the house and they're stuck. And sometimes it takes six months, a year or two to get rectified. But a private lender can come in and say, listen, I don't care about that. You guys agree to sell the house. Yep. Good. Here's your check. I'm going to give you the mortgage. Boom. Next week it's done. The parties can separate, move out of the house. Again, it's a diff very different interest rate, but that's a really, you know, an example that we use all the time in private lending. Good people, good jobs, good credit, but they're in a situation that's preventing them from going to a regular bank. Yeah. And I mean, the interest rate may be uh, a bit different, but it's also your peace of mind. So you're kind of looking yeah. at balancing, you know, you've got options and, and sometimes relationships, if they're not working out, you do need your space. Um, and it's not healthy for anyone maybe to stay in that situation. You need to get out. Mm -hmm. So... What is, I would say, and, and you gave a good example, and I was going to ask for examples, but what is, uh, this is kind of a, I guess, a difficult question, maybe difficult question. Um, what is your most common scenario for people who require private lending? Because I feel like, here's the thing, and the reason I ask this is, is yeah, divorce is a really good solution, but there's a lot of different solutions, and I feel like people won't understand until um, we kind of give them a few solutions. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, divorce is a big one. Um, a credit challenge is another one. Um, so they either are getting behind in their bills, or they they're just pay you know going minimum payments. You know, uh, they're they're not getting ahead. They're drowning in in debt, and the credit card payments are big at 20 percent. Mm -hmm. Right, a lot of these. So you can come in for a private mortgage at ten eleven percent with a different kind of payment structure, that will then give some credit relief, so they can cash flow, they can breathe. Um, and then work out a payment plan after. So, you know, debt consolidation is a big one. And and a lot of people will say, oh, 10, 12%, that's expensive. Yeah, but you're paying 18, 20, yeah. 22. Some of the credit cards have seen 25%. Yeah. So it's yeah. half the cost of those. Yeah. Um, another one is entrepreneurs. So a big one is people buying a property and renovating it um, that are in bad or poor condition. So I've seen some with holes in the roof, you know, massive damage to a property that a bank won't finance that kind of property. But a private lender will. Yeah. So, would you say? Uh, so, you've given two given two different scenarios. One is more of an investment financial decision. The other one is more of a. It's a financial decision as well, but it's mm -hmm. more of a personal. Um, you could say discretionary spending. Um, almost yeah. uh, kind of uh, solution. What? Uh, how is it? Kind of fifty fifty. Do you see more investors? Do you see more on the personal side? Where is what's the blend? So. It's a blend for my portfolio, um, yeah. but I purposely make it that way. Um, some investors and some kind of brokers and, and mix, um, like I run Target one or the other. Um, I always like in my in my whole career, I've always tried to have balance in everything I do. Um, but I'll give you a good example. A lot of your listeners can probably relate to about the debt consolidation one. Mm -hmm. The main banks are very, very process driven. So I'm talking the Scotias, the yeah. TDs, the yeah. RBCs, the BMOs. If you don't fit a box, you're just a client. Yeah. It's like a checkbox, like an airplane, right? Check, 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 check. And the credit score is one of those factors. So they'll come in and say, in order to do a refinance with Scotiabank, or I'm just going to pick on Scotiabank. Um, you know, I love Scotiabank. <laughs> we work with them lots. Um, you need a credit score of, of X. And I think it's yeah. the last time I looked, it was 650 as a credit score. 
But if you're writing all of your credit cards at a very high limit, so if you can borrow $100,000 in credit cards and you're at $95,000 or $100,000, your credit score is going to be decimated most cases. Um, I mean, it's, it's a very complex thing, but, you know, limit to, yeah. to balance is one of the key factors. So a lot of times, and this just happened to me about eight months ago with one of my clients, they couldn't get refinanced, even though they had never missed a payment. Their credit payment history was perfect. They had a great job, worked for the government. Because his utilization was there, it was too high. His credit score fell below the threshold for the banks to give him a refinance. Now, stick with me here because it's kind of doesn't make common sense, but mm -hmm. this is what our lending world has come to. So we put a private mortgage on his property, rolled all of his debt into the mortgage. So same amount of borrowing, yeah. no difference in the total amount. So he, he owed 100 grand yesterday. He owes 100 grand today. It just goes from a credit card to a mortgage or multiple credit cards to one mortgage. Roughly the same payment structure, funny enough, because he had a lot of low rate credit cards. And now all of a sudden, 30 days later, his credit score went up 150 points. Oh, wow. Then he just flipped, went to Scotiabank, did it, got a line of credit on his house, a HELOC, paid off the second mortgage. Oh, wow. So Scotia actually refinanced the entire entire thing. Yeah. Oh, wow. But, he, but if he would have went originally, his credit score was below the threshold and it was a hard decline. Yeah, and then he'd have to find alternative lenders who are yeah. charging maybe not as much as a pr uh, private, but on a larger sum. So mm -hmm. it ends up costing you more. That's interesting. Yeah. I've never, I, I have to say, I've never heard of something in that. I mean, we, as a real estate lawyer, we're doing the last mile. So I see, like, mm -hmm. just we're told to pay out stuff. But the, as a yeah. strategy, that's that's uh, that's amazing. But yeah. similar to that, I feel like it's also like we just discussed was the investor side where. Sometimes um, what I find, and, and correct me if uh, I'm wrong, if there's something that yeah. um, I'm saying that's incorrect, sure. but when you're making offers for commercial properties, especially a few months ago, and I'm, I'm sure for investor investment properties, it hasn't changed now, even if mm -hmm. the market's slowing down a little bit. But you need to be like on top of your game. You need to be able to come to the table with money, and there yep. is little room for um, going getting approvals and all of that. And, and a lot of times for investment properties, um, it takes longer just because yep. there's more paperwork. And uh, even though sometimes what I, I I've seen is it could the, the investment property could be half the price of a, of a residential home but it takes 10 times longer to approve <laughs> right yeah. the value is like half as much and and the residential the banks just cut checks sometimes if everything falls in place like you said but with the the the, the investment property they're looking at it and they're like looking at your renters they're looking at um, all the lease agreements they're looking at all this rent rolls cash flows all this other stuff to make a decision and sometimes yeah. you don't have that time to kind of go in and do all of that. Absolutely. And, and the, the well, it comes to the property flippers a lot that we work with. And, you know, they need the confidence to go put an offer in, like you say, and close in 10, 15 days. Not just get an approval in 15 yeah. days, close in 15 days. A lot of times the bank's not even returning your call in 15 days um, lately. <laughs> So they'll come in and they'll be pre-approved by us and say, okay, you got 25% down because typically that's our threshold. Um, and the, uh, other private lenders have different rules, but that's mm -hmm. usually ours. And they're pre-qualified. So we already have their credit bureau and their financials and everything else. And I say, as long as you get an appraisal that supports the price you're paying, you're approved. Yeah. And here are the terms and conditions. Here are the rates and fees. So they're putting an offer in unconditional on finance 
or maybe conditional on appraisal or inspection, but they know we have their back. Yeah. So in that case, it's a business decision. The cost and fees are just like the price of drywall or the price of anything else. And it makes a huge difference because you're already going into an uncertain market. Um, uncertain being um, like you don't really, as an investor, it's not an emotional decision. Like you're mm-hmm. talking about earlier, you're looking at like the floor plan. You're making sure hopefully nothing's wrong with the building. There's no unexpected yeah. expenses. So you, you're there's so many variables in your mind set that like going in thinking okay you know what i gotta put in this offer and then maybe get financing is something that you don't want to put on that all that due Mm -hmm. diligence into the building and then figure out you know what they haven't even entered my name in the database in the 15 days that i had to close (laughs) right yeah so i mean i find that to be the biggest peace of mind from an investor perspective to have Mm -hmm. somebody behind you um who will say okay these are our limits and the, like the, 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 the boundaries, like you said, so you're saying it just has to be an appraisal coming in within a certain amount and it's, it's fine. Or is there anything else yep. that you're looking at? Well, these clients are already pre-approved by us and yeah. we kind of know what they're doing. You know, again, these are investors that are typically buying. It's not their first time buying. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's an appraisal to make sure. So if somebody's buying a townhouse um, and they're paying half a million dollars for this townhouse, and I'm just going to pick, you know, whatever they're buying in Mississauga and, and well, they can't buy a townhouse for half a million in Mississauga, but let's just pretend, <laughs> and, uh, <It's> a dream. <laughs> you know, and they know, so yeah, I'm going to put a hundred grand down and I'm going to rent it out and I'm going to renovate it. And cause it's in a mess or, or whatever. Sure. Like all day long. Cause they give me the geographic area ahead of time. I know what they're looking for mm. and we get the terms and conditions up front. So in your experience then, um, and I know there's no strict answer to this question, but yeah. I'm still going to ask how, <laughs> how quickly do people kind of flip from that private into some other, uh, product? Um, three months to a year is usually the, the sort of the threshold. So the flippers are typically three to six months because mm-hmm. they're going in there. They're a business. They're coming in. They want to, cause it, they're burning interest, right? It's a cost yeah. and they want to get that cost as cheap as possible. So they'll have the crews in there. If they're really organized, it's three, four months. Um, where somebody that's trying to do maybe a debt consolidation and needs their credit to rebuild, that might take a year. Um, another good scenario, people use private lending um, all the time, is they're in a new job and it's partly commission-based. So they don't have enough history to to show the bank that they've been earning this commission, but they know they're eight months in the job and they've already made 150 grand. So they know that it's there, but the banks need two full years of income tax. So yeah. as another as another good scenario yeah, where yeah, people yeah. Um, will use privates. So that takes time then. Um, and then moving to interest rates, and I know that's yeah. not uh, the end all be all, but my question would be not exactly where the interest rates are, but what kind of affects it? Are, are private mortgages fixed? Are they variable? Like, is it both? Is it up to you? And like, what does a line mortgage kind of offer? So the industry used to be fixed. Um, because really prime rate hasn't changed for, you know, ever uh, in any significant manner. Um, now most lenders are flipping to a, a hybrid. So we'll typically do a first mortgage right now at like eight, nine, nine rate, um, or prime plus four, you know, the greater of, Okay. so, the, you know, there's still, it's still a fixed rate, but if prime really does move, then your rate will move too. Um, you know, we don't like variable rates, but it's so uncertain right now yeah. that, most most private lenders are baking in something like that just to account for, you know, a crazy bank of Canada doubles the rates or something. It's, you know, then yeah. the lenders would be underwater. So when you say eight, nine, nine, I mean, that's uh, 
pretty good rate compared if you like think that uh, fixed rates are like at five or <laughs> whatever wherever they are that's a yeah phenomenal Scotia today rate. a fixed rate a fixed five year at scotia is like 5.3 today i think yeah um so it's not not variable you can still get in like in the twos i think but um yeah it's you know it's definitely hasn't the private market hasn't quite caught up yet but it will so i expect us to be probably over 10 for normal um normal first mortgages by the end of the summer yeah, I would imagine because eight nine nine. I'm given, even though there it's it's easy for the borrower, but there is more risk on the lender because they're not necessarily looking at as many variables um, as a conventional lender would. Therefore, that's that's why you have that premium because that due diligence and all of that is not there. So, Correct. But we we've hit this perfect storm of stuff, and yeah, and, we, and again, I can geek out on mortgages all day long. Um, but uh, we hit this perfect storm from the borrower's perspective right now because there is so much volatility in the stock market. There's been a lot of money flowing into um, into real estate debt. And so a lot of investors are looking for stability and cash flow. So there's a lot of money coming into or has been over the last year into this space. Yeah. So the mix are flush. Well, they, they were before the last two months um, were, are flush with cash and consequently has driven the rate down. Yeah. But what we're seeing in the last two months is with the Bank of Canada changing and the big banks really tightening up their, their lending rules, there's been a massive push on private lenders um, and just demand. The demand for our, our products was, was high before. It's literally doubled in the last two months. So we're going to start seeing rates really come up um, as all this extra liquidity in the private lending space gets eaten up. Yeah, no, I mean, and and if if like the way I'm looking at it, because I did not know, I thought, frankly speaking, I thought if fixed are going up, private <laughs> for fixed, the conventional rates are going up. I assumed yeah. you guys would be in the ten to twelve percent rate, eight nine nine, and I'm assuming this is for like not everybody, yeah. but like depending on how you qualify. A good first mortgage, yeah. yeah. Like it's yeah. that's that's an extremely low mortgage, especially if it were variable plus four percent, just because yeah. a lot of times now, um, like you just said, like there's so much going on that uh, a lot of people are not going to be qualifying with the interest rate changes yeah. with all this other stuff. That doesn't mean you got to lose your home or that you have to postpone buying a home because yeah. Prices are actually coming down because interest yeah. rates are going up and there's less buyers. That doesn't mean you can't enter the market. Um, for, for me, it's like, you know what, like I find like um, if you look at 2008 and this is my perspective, mm -hmm. 2008, everybody panicked when everybody was selling. But then those mm -hmm. people who, who went in at that time and it's hard to figure out when the bottom of the market is, they made the most money they did in their lifetimes. Like a, a lot oh, of yeah. these, like uh, at least what, the YouTubers that I follow, they, a lot of these business guys earned a lot of the majority of their assets since 2008 before that they had like nothing even before yeah. the crash i have a i have a funny saying and it's kind of served me well over my lifetime is do whatever the opposite of the masses are doing yeah <laughs> no i 100 percent agree no and, and, and yeah. i'm looking at it this way there's like the funny thing is is um and when when you're supposed to go in and bid half a million over asking right or uh, you're kind of blind or listed. I mean, when they say half over half a million over listed, the list prices were low. That's a whole different story. But yeah. point is you're going into a blind bidding war. Everybody's jumping in. But as soon as it cools down, everybody's freaking out and they're going, no, no, I don't know if I want to pay a hundred thousand less than the guy that, who bought it for. Like, well, what are you thinking about? This is a no brainer. 
Yeah, you know, again, you know, you're, it's probably is a, you know, a topic for another show, but I always believe that you should own your home. Yeah. And it gives you housing security. So true housing security comes from owning your home. Yeah. And, you know, you if you're really conservative, you can take a 10-year mortgage. Now, I don't, I don't even know what the price of that is today, but you could. Yeah. And then set it and forget it, you know, that you don't have to, you know, nobody can kick you out of your house. Nobody can raise your rent, right? You're you're solid there. Now, investment property, it's a business decision, and that's a bit of a different um, thing. So I always believe you're better to buy when, if possible, than, than rent. Yeah. So um, moving on to what it's like working with you now, normally I, I do ask this earlier on, but I wanted to kind of get this stuff out of the way and let our, sure. our, our listeners understand, like, who can really use a private mortgage, whoever is in that scenario, how can they reach out? What's the process like? Do do we just give you a call to send you an email? What's the process like? Uh, I, and for both, please, for the personal side, um, if yeah. we're kind of consolidating debt or whatever, personal need and the investor side. So, so two different things. Um, so our company is Align Mortgage. Um, so we, if you need, we work with other mortgage brokers right across the province. They send us deals all the time. Mm -hmm. So if you have a mortgage broker you're working with, you can just tell them to send it to us. We're on all the major systems that all the mortgage brokers uses. Um, so that's one scenario. You can always just, just I'm sure we'll have the contact information, the show notes and stuff. Reach out to us. We're really easy to, um, to work with and we're, we're straight up. If we can help somebody, we, we will. Um, if you have equity in your home, then chances are we can help you. It's just a matter of interest rate. You know, somebody with, you know, if your house is worth a million dollars and you only need 50 grand, that's a different mortgage than if you need a mortgage for 800 grand. Mm -hmm. All right. So the amount of equity in your house determines the interest rates. Um, is there, is, one is, there the a minimum, is there a minimum that you, you do and a maximum? Maximum, I'm assuming, is 75%. So that's the value yeah. of the house. But is there a minimum, like just absolute value that you lend? No, I mean, I'd probably say 50 grand below yeah. that, even at 50 grand, it's it's not worth the legal paperwork a lot of times. Yeah. Um, you know, by the time you add lawyer fees and broker fees and appraisal fees, it's just the effective rate goes so high that it's many times not worth it for a consumer. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and what's important to us is we really want to help people and not just have them on this debt cycle. So if, if we don't see that what we're help, what we're providing is going to help the customer along, then we're not interested. Um, you know, if somebody's been in a private mortgage for the last 15 years and they go from every year from one private lender to another, to another, to another, that's not our client. Um, we're that people that are going to help that divorcee client or the entrepreneur or somebody that's working, you know, they're working Uber and, you know, five different gig jobs and the banks just can't get their head around it. Perfect. You know, you're our kind of client, but, um, but not the perpetual borrower. So you're not, you're, and, and this is what I think where the, the, for a lot of uh, individuals, that's what the the mindset is: is where private lenders try to push you into default, um, which I'm not saying they do or they don't. But that's not your client. Your client is somebody who who has uh, maybe a difficult time showing how much they earn, or because yeah. of their life circumstance, they can't get to an A lender or an alternative lender. So they're coming to you as a temporary fix before yeah. they move back to where they were. 100%. And and on the flip side, there's the investor side of the business, right? So that's also if anybody's listening that is interested in investments, we also bring in investors um, to lend in private money and through our mortgage pools. Okay. And so if I am, so the investors are the ones who are in, in that context, investing in your uh, mortgage Correct. products. But what yeah. about investors who are looking for just uh, uh, in investment properties? Uh, would you 
do you prefer everyone to go through a mortgage broker or or do you prefer them reaching out to you directly like what's what's your, your um we we do both mm-hmm. um so we you know i am a licensed mortgage broker it's not really what i'm trying to directly market for anymore yeah. but we are fully mm-hmm. licensed and a lot of it has to do with that relationship mm-hmm. if a client has a relationship with a mortgage broker they know them and trust them and is giving that big planning work yeah. with your mortgage broker yeah. um and then we're just a tool in their toolbox um, you know, because our focus is pretty narrow, right? We're really just private lending all day, every day. Yeah. Um, that's our focus. So if somebody's looking for that, I'm happy to have them as a client. But most times it's transitory. So I'd, I'd almost rather them work with their mortgage broker, create the exit plan, work on the credit repair um, or whatever that solution is. And then I'm just providing that uh, that solution. Okay. Yeah, no. And I always um, advise clients to kind of stick to a broker, develop a relationship um, and then, and, cause they will know your life, like where you want to go in life, what you want to do, all of that stuff and, and use the products that they have to help facilitate that move. Yeah. hundred percent. But yeah, nope. Thank you for joining, come on the podcast. If anybody wants to reach out to Chad, um, I'm going to put his contact information below, um, align mortgage. If you're interested, if you have a mortgage broker, um, and you, you're thinking of products that, uh, interested you today, that anything we talked about, um, corporations align mortgage, uh, any last words, Chad? No, you know, happy, uh, happy buying is what I say to everybody, you know, <laughs> go out there and look for the opportunity. And there's lenders like us that are good quality lenders that want to support you. Awesome. Thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me.